Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. So I know we have quite a few newcomers today, or not necessarily newcomers who haven't been here for a while. So in case you have missed some of those um, previous talks on the comparison between the story of Buddha and the story of Jesus Christ, um, I'll catch you up very quickly. Um, Siddhartha has gone through a lot of stuff, and he is now sitting by the river thinking about it. That's the gist of it. He's sitting by the river in the chapter called The Ferryman. After realizing that for 20 years of his life, which is pretty much half of his life, he has spent following pleasure, following materialism, and learning all the crafts and becoming wealthy and rich, but that didn't mean anything anymore to him. He went through a time of depression, a time when he even thought he might not as well live anymore, until he heard this primal sound, this beautiful sound of harmony and perfect oneness, home. That gave him inspiration. That gave him that one thing that he needed, because he knew even the teachings of Gautama who was considered the Buddha at that time when Siddhartha was growing up and getting older, even the teachings of Gautama, who he thought were beautiful and powerful and wonderful and, and just the right teachings, he knew it still was not what he was looking for. Because he was not looking for a specific path that someone else taught him to follow. He was looking for Atman, the true self that which is beyond illusion, beyond maya. So now, he's sitting here by the river because he understood the sacredness of the river. He understood what the river had to tell him, and he started to understand what the river had to teach him in order to realize the Atman within himself. In unity terms, realizing Atman would be called realizing truth. Same thing. It's the idea of oneness, of getting rid of the separation, the idea that we are separate from God, that we are in spiritual term, terms even separate from each other, but embracing the idea of Atman, of Brahman, of unity, and of oneness. So as he is sitting there, <clears throat> he's realizing in this passage that the river runs and runs. The wa this water ran and ran. Instantly it ran and was nevertheless always there. He was, was always at all times the same and yet new in every moment. Great be he who would grasp this, understand this. He understood and grasped it not. He understood the power of the river. 
later on when he talks to the ferryman Vasudeva, there is a passage where Vasudeva talks about that the river always flows and is always the same and yet never the same. And that's how we are. We are always the same and yet never the same. There's always potential for change and there's always potential for harmony and peace as well. The river does it all. But Siddhartha realizes that he understood it up here, but he really didn't grasp it down here. And that's very important. It's that harmony that we seek, something that I will show you later on when Joss Fillmore, our co-founder, talks about love, the power of love. Love is about harmonizing the things in life. And it's about being persistent and consequential when it comes to our ability and willingness to harmonize whatever is no longer in harmony. And it is that harmony that he does not yet experience here, Siddhartha. He understands the concept of the river and how the river is a reflection of himself, that his life is a reflection of a part of the river, that his previous lives and his future lives, as long as he is in the birth and rebirth cycle of samsara, that is all one river. And that's what he is sitting by and he's trying to learn from. This is very much when we study about spirituality, whether it's reading a lot of books or going to a lot of workshops or going to church every Sunday. It's the same thing that we're trying to learn about our river within. And many of us understand a lot of what we're reading, but do we really grasp it? Do we really engage with it? Last week, I was at the Unity Convention. It's an international convention where all the Unity ministers come together and some other uh, licensed Unity teachers and other spiritual leaders, board members and things like that come together once a year to kind of share and be together and get excited about our movement and so on. And uh, one of the most, probably most important figures when it comes to spreading the teaching of unity, the creator of truthunity.net, the website where you get a lot of information about unity, a lot of references. Mark Hicks, he gave the keynote and he was comparing and contrasting metaphysics with mysticism. And it was really interesting to hear that comparison. And I'm not saying that that is what he meant to say. This is how it was received by myself and some of the others. The talk was about metaphysics. and It was even called like that. Metaphysics versus mysticism. What does the verses imply? They're different. It's a separation. So it's interesting to be at the Unity Convention and be told about that there is a separation, right? Because what are we all supposed to be about? Oneness, about unity, right? 
But at the same time, it's also not surprising because that's also our journey, is to learn about our differences and learn about where we separate us from each other and then learn to harmonize that and bring that into unity. But in a very real sense, what was said was, if you are a metaphysician, or if you think of metaphysics, which started hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, and was really the real way of how the way, as Jesus' teaching was called before he was called Christianity, had a lot of metaphysical understanding in it. This is how we interpret the stories of the Bible in unity. But it was perceived as being something almost like intellectual. As if you're a metaphysician, then you're inclined, inclined to be more intellectual. He also mentioned that metaphysics is like understanding, just like Siddhartha says, I understand. And then the mysticism was the experience of God. How do we experience God in our lives? How do we, think, how do we feel God, so to speak? Right? So we have metaphysics, the thinking about God, and we have mysticism, the feeling of God in our lives. This is all great. But as long as we see it versus, instead of together, we will always fall for the illusion maya, right? Maya, as in Buddhism, Hinduism, the concept of illusion, we will always fall for the illusion. Whenever we say, oh, don't be so intellectual, we're separating ourselves. Oh, don't be so emotional, we're separating ourselves. It's the harmony that needs. Mother, Father, God can never be separated. It's impossible to do so. We're trying to do it in our minds, but we're failing at it. We will always fail because Mother, Father, God always belongs together. It's a unity, there's no verses. We help to understand what the mother aspect of God means and what the father aspect of God means, not because we are trying to give you a path to another title or another degree in your life. We all probably have plenty of those. We're using understanding for inspiration because especially in the modern world, understanding can inspire us to become once again, the mystic. But we cannot be the mystic without understanding, and we cannot be the metaphysician without some of the mysticism behind it. In fact, those great mystics in the past, they must have had understanding, otherwise they would have never experienced true oneness and the truth of what that divine means within us. So here is where Siddhartha is. The Buddha who is to become, he's struggling with it. Who struggles in life? Anyone here? Once in a while, right? A little bit, right? It gets to us, life gets to us sometimes. Sometimes gently, sometimes a little harshly. We all get to this point where there's a form or a moment of desperation, a moment where we might even ask, 
these questions. So then we have this beautiful conversation between Vasudeva and Siddhartha. Vasudeva is the ferryman, the same ferryman who actually uh, brought him across the river 20 years ago before he went to the city. Remember, he was a Samana for um, about three years, and he um, then decided he had to do something else. He met Godama. He said, Godama, the Buddha, no, that's not it for me. I got to find something else. So he wanted to go to the city. And he got stuck for 20 years there. But on the way to the city, he met Vasudeva for the first time. He even stayed at his hut for one night. He didn't have any money, couldn't pay for him. And now he is back 20 years later. Now nicely dressed, right? Fancy shoes, fancy jewelry, fancy dress, everything. <clears throat> and guess what he tells him? I still cannot pay you. Remember he left all his wealth behind. He just picked it up and just left the city. He left it all behind, didn't take any money, but he didn't also change his clothes. He still had his fancy clothes. All his payment was, was to give him the clothes. Vasudeva, even for a moment, are you kidding me? <laughs> Dude, look at you, you know, you're rich. Give me some coin here. And he said, no, no, I don't have anything. But then Vasudeva saw something very important. He saw the passion and the desperation that Siddhartha had to learn, to learn from the river. Siddhartha said, I'm going to be your assistant. No, wait a minute. I'm going to be your apprentice first because I have to learn all about what it means to be a ferryman. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be your apprentice until I learn what you know. The conversation is really beautiful because it's a conversation about compassion, about unconditional love, which is really what today's talk is about, unconditional love and how it connects to releasing attachment. So Vasudeva says to Siddhartha, the river has taught me to listen. This is Vasudeva talking. From it, you will learn it as well. And then he continues. He says, I have transported many thousands, and to all of them, my river has been nothing but an obstacle. But a few, out of those thousands, maybe four or five, the river stopped being an obstacle, and it became something else. It became sacred to them, just as sacred as Siddhartha saw the river. The river is a symbol in life. Rivers are used in scriptures, in scriptural stories all the time. They have different meanings. The river is not outside of ourselves. The river is within us. And often, we find that that river is an obstacle for us. And all we want to do is we want to cross that obstacle as soon as we can and move on with our lives because we're so busy, right? We got to go and drop off our kids. We got to pay our bills. We got to go to work. We got to be with our friends. It's go, 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 go. So having that river once in a while in the way, for many of us, it's perceived as something we just don't need right now. 
We might even tell that obstacle, can you just wait five minutes? I've got to finish something up, right? Here, we're learning that there's a sacredness that we need to learn in order to grow spiritually. That some of those obstacles that are put in our ways may actually be exactly what we need in order to learn more about oneness, about life, about everything. <clears throat> it's interesting to understand what these names actually mean. <clears throat> Most of these names in Siddhartha and Hermanessa's story are Sanskrit names. Sanskrit names are often names that are compound names of different Sanskrit words, such as Vasudeva. Deva or Devi. Deva is the male form. Devi is the female form of an expression of God, little g God. Very much how we see in unity that we're all expressions of God. In a lot of ways, we are all Devas and Devis, according to the Hindu tradition. Vasu means prosperity. So Vasu represents, Vasudeva represents one who has mastered prosperity? And some of you go, really? He's just a ferryman. How could he have mastered prosperity? And if you think like that, I ask you and challenge you to think again. What is true prosperity? Is true prosperity only expressed through how much money you have in the bank account? Anyone? No? no? Right? Just because you have a fancy house and a fancy car doesn't make you master of prosperity. Prosperity is about all things in life. How much love we have in our lives. How much compassion we have for ourselves and others. How much we can inspire others to be more of who and what they are. And that is why Vasudeva is a master of prosperity because he doesn't need the fancy clothes that Siddhartha wears. He doesn't need to be a merchant like Kama Swami. He doesn't need servants. He's following his path. He's bringing people across the river. Most of them who see the river as an obstacle, and once in a while he meets people, four or five of them, out of thousands, who see what he sees, the sacredness of river. Siddhartha is also a compound name. <clears throat> it's not working. There you go. One who has accomplished a goal. From the Sanskrit words, again, a compound word, Siddha, accomplished, and Artha, goal. Well, at this point, you would say Siddhartha has not accomplished his goal yet, right? But it's a beautiful name because it's an inspirational name. One who has accomplished his goal. He's still trying to accomplish his goal, and at some point he will, as we know, he will eventually sit under that body tree and fully be enlightened and never return back to suffering in that sense. He will escape samsara eventually and become the teacher of hundreds and thousands and millions of people that are still inspired by his story. But in this lifetime when he is learning, he is accomplishing his goal by going step by step. 
And here's the river. <coughs> if it only would work. There you go. There you go. River. River means all sorts of things. It can mean life and fertility. It can mean cleansing and purification, as in baptism. It can mean healing. We have a lot of healing that happens in rivers, right, in the stories. And it can be a conduit to the divine and the source of wisdom. And Charles Fillmore, in The Revealing Word, he writes about the river of life, which is mentioned in Revelations, in the book of Revelation by John of Patmos. When a man in faith makes intimate connection between his mind and the, I added, the mothers, the mothers and fathers, he enters into the river of life. Charles Fillmore is very specific. We need to step into that place of harmony, that place that Siddhartha is looking for, that place that Siddhartha found two times this far. One time in the chapter Awakening, when he fully awakened, but then it was only a long past memory. The other time when he experienced Om, and he embraced Om. That's when he understood the river fully without really knowing it. The other two things he learned thus far, and he will learn more and more as the story goes on and concludes. If you read the chapter, you remember he gets all excited whenever he something, learns something new. Siddhartha does. Whenever he learns something new from the river, remember he's sitting by the river and all he's doing is listening. And the, the river is teaching him. And all of a sudden he realized that there is no time. And he gets all excited about it because he not only understood that time does not exist, but he grasped the concept and the idea fully, just like a mystic. And he gets up and he runs to Vasudeva and he tells him all about it and Vasudeva smiles very gently because Vasudeva knows there's so much more to learn. The other thing that Siddhartha learns in this chapter is the voices, the thousands of voices that the river carries. Imagine for a moment if the river was you. How many thousands of voices have you heard in your lifetime? How many thousands of voices that expressed pain, shame, sorrow, embarrassment, but also joy, happiness, gleefulness? How many of those voices have you heard in your life? So for this Siddhartha, all these voices came together. He did not reject them. He did not embrace them. He just listened. He just listened and was with those voices. And he realized as those thousands of voices came together, he made this one beautiful sound. Can you guess which sound? Om. Shall we do it together again, like last time? Okay. One, two, three. Oh. Thousands of voices. Thousands of people that we met, that we heard about, we watched on TV about. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of voices coming together in oneness, in one moment.
Now, this is a picture of Siddhartha with his wife and his son. But this is from a different story. You might remember at the very first week, I said there's a couple of ideas that people have about Siddhartha's upbringing. One is he left his compound of his father very early on, unmarried, still as a teenager. And then he went, just as in Siddhartha's, in Hermann Hesse's story, he then met Kamala and was with her for many years. And then as he left, Kamala was pregnant. He never knew about the son. This is from a different story. Um, another story that we know about is that Siddhartha actually had a wife and a son before he left the compound. He was a little older when he did that. It's the only picture I could find. That's why I'm having it up here. There's no other reason for it. Because it's really important in this chapter now that we are arriving at that story that Kamala and her son, young boy Siddhartha, happened to come upon the river. They were trying to get to Godama, who was ill and was meant to die. And a lot of monks were pilgrim to where Godama was. And Kamala, who gave away her garden, her pleasure garden, to the monks, she was a devotee in a sense of Godama as well. She grabbed her son, Siddhartha, and wanted to uh, do the pilgrimage to Godama as well. But then they both got tired by the river. So she sat down, fell asleep, and got bitten by a snake, eventually died. But before she died, she connected with the old Siddhartha, with the father, and realized that Siddhartha had found very much his old self, the self that she first met before he was compromised by the riches and by the wealth and by materialism. And she was happy and glad to see that. But she also saw some more depth in that, more depth that Siddhartha had learned. And yet Siddhartha was still not fully where he wanted to be. I'm leaving it at that. I really encourage you to read the entire passage because it's a beautiful passage. It talks so much about love and unconditional love and about attachment and about devotion just in a few pages. It's a beautiful story, and it's sad that Kamala has to die here. And when she dies, Siddhartha got really quiet because he was suffering, he was mourning. And Vasudeva found him by the river and he asked, you know, how, you know, how's it going? Did you sleep at all? And he said, no, Vasudeva, I sat here, I was listening to the river a lot. It has told me deeply. It has filled me with the healing thought, with the thought of oneness. And, and Vasudeva points out, you're experiencing suffering, Siddhartha, but I see no sadness has entered your heart. This is the very essence of Buddhism. The very essence of Buddhism is that life is suffering. But another essence of Buddhism, and Zen Buddhism was really well developed to help us understand that, is that we are not supposed to run away from the suffering, but to learn to embrace it, 
to learn to find oneness with it. And then we find Atman, Brahman, Nirvana. We shall never run away, but only lean into the suffering that we have. The reason why Siddhartha was not suffering, he was sad, of course, but that's not the same thing as suffering. Everyone gets that, right? Just because we are sad, we're not necessarily suffering. We could be, but it's not necessarily the truth. But he found oneness in that moment. He was celebrating the life he had with Kamala. He was also celebrating his son, his beautiful son, that he loved very much, even though he didn't know him, did not know him at all. And that's a key teaching that we have here. And it shows up over and over again, but I wanted to point it out to you that there is such a deep wisdom, hundreds of years older than any wisdom we get from the Christian teachings, and yet is a wisdom that we also get to explore in Christianity. And here we go. Christianity. This is from the time after Jesus entered Jerusalem, and everyone was hailing him as the king of the Jews, right? And then the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were all, all upset about it, and they got really scared that they, they would lose their power and started kind of like poking at him, right? And here we have one of those poke sessions where um, the Pharisees here, after the Sadducees were failing to, to kind of trick Jesus into breaking the law, which would have given the right to kill him, right? The Pharisees trying the exact same thing. And here is really where it connects to Siddhartha's story. The very number one commandment that Jesus taught us, which is... You, right? That's the first part. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Right? That comes from the Ten Commandments. And then the greatest of all is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is the unconditional love piece that Siddhartha is learning. We have two individual great teachers that teach the same thing in very different ways. Siddhartha is still learning. He's learning about unconditional love. Jesus is teaching about unconditional love. He's also trying not to be caught by the Pharisees and by the scribes and by the, the people in power. He fails, obviously, ended up on the cross anyway, but you see some of this happening here. It's also known later on by Paul that he refers to this time and this expression, what Jesus is doing, that he is not just following the law, but he's fulfilling the law. Love is to fulfill the law. For us to love unconditionally is to fulfill the law in that way. And Joss Fillmore had this to say about it. Divine love is impersonal. It loves for the sakes of loving, sake of loving. Love is an inner quality that sees good everywhere and in everybody. Love is the great harmonizer and healer. Divine love will bring your own to you. And I like to take that 
for you home today. Divine love will bring your own to you. It's through divine love where we get to learn about ourselves the most. It's to learn to love unconditionally, to learn to love our enemies, to learn to love those who disagree with us, to learn to love that those who argue with us, to love the neighbor regardless. Adjust all misunderstandings and make your life and affairs healthy, happy, harmonious, and free. And if I'm correct, that's the end of one chapter. And if I'm looking at the time, this is where we close for today. And we'll pick up the next chapter next week. So I want you to take this home as we get ready for our meditation. And just recognize what Siddhartha is doing what he is learning, and how Jesus seems to have already learned that, and he is teaching. Both do the same thing. Siddhartha is learning about himself, about the love that he has, and how that love cannot be attached to anything, how that love must be unattached and unconditional. And so let's take that lesson into our meditation for today. Take a deep breath. Settle your feet steadily on the ground. The symbol for feet is understanding. And so to plant your feet on the ground means to understand the earth, to understand the expression, the material world, the manifestation. So you can place your breath into your feet, energize it with your understanding. And then allow that breath to return up into your head, to the crown, the top of your head, the crown chakra. And release into the spiritual. We breathe into the ground today, into the ground of that which we see and feel and sense. And we release everything that is no longer serving us, anything that stands in the way, any obstacle we may see, release that out through the crown into the spiritual, the spirit where it can return to its source and be reimagined. Every breath acts as a moment of salvation.
a moment of exploring the world through our eyes, our spirit. Every exhale is forgiveness and freedom and letting go of that which stands in the way so we can get out of the way. Allow Maya, the illusion, to be lifted and truly find the self, Atman, Brahman, the Christ, God. Together we sit by the river. We're companions of Siddhartha sitting by the river and listen. We'll listen deeply and carefully. We sit still, quietly. We feel the energy of Siddhartha next to us. The power of Christ next to us, within us, outside of us, everywhere. We allow the truth, the truth of God, the truth of God as love, to take hold. And we breathe into that love knowing that all is good. We find good in everything and good in everybody. And most importantly, we find that same goodness within ourselves, despite the challenges and the worries and regrets and judgments. Just find that goodness, goodness and feel it understand it and harmonize it. Again, we breathe deeply into our feet, releasing all that is not true for us. We breathe into our understanding of this world through the power of spirit, the power of love, the power of the truth of who and what we are. And we release joyously, in gratitude, release what has served us thus far but no longer serves us from this moment on. We forgive, forgive ourselves and others, give away the judgment and the embarrassment, give up shame so that we can return to the joy that's true. So a few more deep breaths deeply into our feet and as we release through the crown into the world and the universe, 
We bring heart and mind together, Father, Mother, God, Mother, Father, God, metaphysician and mysticism, the mystic, all together in harmony right now, and we give thanks. We find that moment of gratitude. We find that moment that we truly appreciate ourselves for being here, ourselves for doing what we do, but each other also for either pointing out the greatness that we are, but also pointing out the flaws that we still are allowed to work on. Together we embrace the suffering and the pain that we might feel. We no longer run away, but we give thanks and lean into it, learning from it embracing it and finding those thousands of voices within ourselves to listen to this one beautiful sound. Together, let's take a deep breath and sound out this beautiful sound together. One, two, three. Oh. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.